Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so happy and glad to see that we've got a full house this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, as Steve said, um, <clears throat> we're in a series of uh, the body of Christ and the, and the um, church. And this morning we're looking at what it means to be the body, what it means to bring heaven to earth. What does that look like? What does it look like to be a kingdom person? I mean, we use those words very frequently, but um, do we really know what it means? I hope that we are all in agreement that we're not called to go to heaven one day. When God made the heaven and the earth, he said in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. If you look at Revelation, the end of the book, he's making a new heaven and a new earth. And in the middle of the book, he's telling us how to bring the kingdom here. In his prayer that he teaches us, he says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on as it is in heaven. Right. So, if you look on the, at the Beatitudes, for example, it, it was Jesus' first sermon. It's very clear that he gives us a, a new way of living. He says, bless are those who mourn, bless are those who's, who's humble. And it's a, it's, it's a whole new way of living. Not to say, well, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. It is to say, this will, this will be your best life. This will be a happy life for you. That is what the the Beatitudes is all about. And then he refers often to, if you do this, you bring hell to earth. And he was literally referring to Gehenna, which is a town dump in Jerusalem, where he was standing at the gate of beautiful and preaching. So if he says hell in, say, for example, Matthew 6, he does not mean hell where you burn eternally. He means hell on earth. Um, so... He gives us a new way to live and a way that you will find happiness and fulfilling. How do you do that? By avoiding hell, by avoiding greed and anger and being an offense to people, um, which brings hell on earth, or to bring heaven to earth instead by being um, loving, humble, forgiving, and generous. So today we look at the different area. If, if you are a kingdom person, Part of the body of Christ, you need to decide which tree are you eating from. <laughs> For kingdom people are uh, fig curses. Now, we're going to use a story from the Bible today and um, turn with me, if you will, or I suppose in today's terms, uh, Google with me. <laughs> or is it up there? Um, it's Matthew 21, verse 18 to 20, 21. We're going to like read it together. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way to, uh, back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
not only uh, can you do what uh, was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one in this room that finds this a bit, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is hungry, and then he walks up to a fig tree and he curses the tree. I'm like, then he connects it all of a sudden with a mountain, having a mountain removed. And then he says, like, the whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. It brings me to some questions. The first one is, is Jesus a bad farmer? Did the creator of heaven and earth not know that it was not seasoned for figs? The creator of heaven and earth is hungry and he gets so mad in the absence of figs that he cursed a tree. The creator who fasted for, for 40 days can't skip breakfast. <laughs> Makes no sense. Can the same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead not speak fruit to a tree? Makes no sense. The guy whose whole ministry was all about control your temper, be humble, he was so ticked off (laughs) because of a little hunger that he cursed the tree. Second question, why did it impress the disciples so much? If you read this, you see that they didn't say, oh my gosh, you know, Jesus is now so ticked. Got to stay clear of him. No, they, they thought it was so pretty cool. They, they thought, wow, how can we do this? Why is that? Um, and also, the, the question is, is that what Jesus wants to teach his disciples? You know, like if you're hungry, like just curse whatever's in front of you. And then a third question, where was he standing when he said this? He was standing in front of the temple, Right? And the, uh, the mountain in front of him was the Temple Mount. It was, it's called uh, Mount Moriah. Now, is this really what he wants to, to do? Uh, standing in front of the temple, cursing a fig tree and removing the temple? So what is the story beneath the story that makes the story make sense? Now, in Hebrew, <laughs> um, there's a law called the law of the first mention. And it's, it's, a, it's a very awesome tool when you read the Bible and you find something that you really don't understand, always go back to where it was first mentioned because it it will give you some clarity. So uh, we're going to take you on a journey this morning and I hope you're excited as I am. (laughs) We're going to go back to the beginning, Genesis 2 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Hey? Oh, is it not? Sorry. Am I okay? Is everything in place? It needs to be in place. (laughs) Okay. Um, A tree and the... In the middle, a Mideastern culture was a metaphor for a way of thinking. Now, if you read the word tree, it's a metaphor of, uh, of, of a way of thinking. That's because that's where they went to school. 
like the tree of Halal, for example, that would personify the teachings of the Rabbi Halal, or the tree of Shammai will, will personify the, the teachings of, of that Rabbi. So what was the name of this tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, we tend to think it was like an evil tree. It wasn't. That's what, not what the name says. The name says was it was uh, the knowledge of good and evil tree. So the original sin was believing that you have the capability to determine between good and evil. The original sin was, I have the capability to master good and evil. Do we do that? Is there any way that our lives are centered around the mastering of good and evil? And if we are living like that, are we not committing the the original sin again? What is it called when you master the, the knowledge of good and evil? It's called judgment. The original sin in the garden was judgment against God. Eve judged that God's way of thinking was not worthy. God said, if you define your life by how well you navigate good and evil, it will, it will lead to some kind of death. He told them in the garden, it's gonna, you're going to die if you, if you eat from this tree. Eve said, I'm making a judgment that in my knowledge of good and evil, that is not right. I would rather be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, than to simply receive what God has for, for me for free. This is judgment. So if judgment was the original sin, was it the central forbidding of Jesus? The central forbidding of Jesus was don't judge. Because when you live to mastering the knowledge of good and evil, it will come back and it will bite you. Entering a life of navigating good and evil leads to some kind of death. Are we living to be masters of extravagant love and life? Or are we living to show we are experts of good and evil? See, these are the questions that we need to deal with. Because to be a kingdom uh, people, we will have to make a faith decision that says, I will be a person of extravagant love and not someone who is known for their knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God said that. I mean, do we know people that always know everything about everything and, um, and everything that is good and bad through their filters, for example, and their interpretations? Yeah, and I personally find it annoying. It's like their job to be the moral police. And the excuse is that it's not a sin. How could it not be a sin if the original sin was um, to think that you've got the capability to... Um, between good and evil. So now, now the story continues. Genesis 3 verse 4. It says there, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the Lord, that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or 
you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, the serpent realizes that the only one in the universe that can truly uh, know good and evil is God. Why? Because God is the only one who can see motive. <laughs> so the, in, the, the serpent says, no, you will not die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So now watch this. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, just a quick observation here. The main lie of the enemy is that eating from the knowledge of good and evil does lead to life, not death. That's what the enemy says. If you want your value and worth to be defined by how well you navigate good and evil, the lie of the enemy is it will lead you to life, not death. Somehow the lie of the enemy is if you just behave well enough, just behave well enough, you will experience life, and people who don't behave well enough will experience death because they not, are not as worthy as you are. Second observation. God says, live by faith. Sometimes the best way of life is wrapped in mystery and not certainty. Isn't it just better to not know everything? The bondage of having to figure out everything, everything. I mean, let me give you an example. Do you really want to know the day you die? Not. <laughs> would you rather stand all there is about healing, or would you rather see people healed? You see, sometimes the most beautiful things of life and our God is that it's things that we don't really understand. Would you rather know all the theology about deliverance or would you rather see people set free? Sometimes the best things in life are found in mystery and not certainty. So the enemy says, if you master the knowledge of good and evil, you will reach a level of certainty, right? It will lead you to life. God says it will lead you to death and not life. And, it, and actually, in this story, the enemy's um, argument actually makes more sense than God's. And that is where faith comes in. The serpent's argument is that the more you know, the better your life would be. And God says, simply live by faith. Third observation. The fruit of the tree was death and an awareness of where they lacked. Their eyes were suddenly opened and they realized they were naked. Now, the question, how long have they been naked? They've been naked since they... They were there, right? And they did not realize it. They, they were so in oneness with God that they didn't realize that they were naked. So sometimes the best life is in mystery and not certainty. They were so into God and in union with him that they did not know that. And then the fourth observation is their solution was to cover themselves with fig leaves. 
Does this sound familiar? Are you um, making the connections uh, um, already? Before going back to the fig tree, let us summarize what we have done. That there's two trees. The one tree is called the tree of life. Um, it's given to you for free by grace through faith. Never earned it. You never deserved it. You can eat from it as much as you want. And it leads to two things. It leads to a full belly and a full experience of the glory of God when you eat from that tree. The other tree is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that leads to a full head. Interesting, the word glory in, in Hebrew is, is, uh, is a word called shekinah. Um, and the word intellect in Hebrew, this is really, really awesome, is, is shikleton, which is the same root word for being barren. <laughs> so the Hebrew word for intellect and the Hebrew word for barren has the same root word. So essentially, if you are going to live um, by what you know only, it will lead you to a fruitful lineage, to barrenness. So in the, in the invitation of God in Genesis 3 is to trade your shikleton uh, for Shekinah. It's to trade what you think you know to by faith follow someone who knows far, far, far more than you know. It's taking God at his, at his word, even though it does not make sense sometimes. So let us go back to the story. Jesus is hungry, and on his way to the temple, he walks up to a tree. Now, I just want to explain this to you. In the first century Hebrew culture, uh, uh, the prophets, they preached with action. They didn't stand here like I do. They preached, and they acted out what they, what they preached. Um, like, uh, what's his name again? Ezekiel, for example. I mean, he, um, he had a preach, and he acted cooking food with poop. Okay, God told him to do that, but I mean, that was part of his preach. Um, part of his preach was lying naked on his front lawn for 140 days. That must have been fun. Um, so yeah, let's go back to the story. Jesus is hungry and on his way to the temple, so he walks up to the fig tree. And he saw only what? Fig leaves. Where in the Bible do we read of fig leaves? In Genesis where Adam and Eve chose to use fig leaves to cover themselves. So Jesus walks up to the fig tree and sees no fruit, and it says uh, this in Genesis. Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves together. Now, to sow fig leaves, you need three things. You need fabric, you need um, 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 thread, which probably was vine, and a needle. So now, now listen to this. So the, the first invention of man was a needle. And the purpose was to cover himself. The problem with this is it's a never-ending story because you're constantly sewing, 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 and making new coverings. Is it not interesting um, that man chose a needle to cover himself and God chose a nail to restore all things back to him? So the message of the gospel is will you choose to live by your set of needles or will you trust the nail? Will you be a master of good and evil or will you simply step back and realize this is not your role? Now watch this. This is Mark's encounter. Um, Mark 14, and he talks about Jesus cursing the tree 
And now here we go for part two. In verse 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise uh, through the temple courts. And as he taught them, I want you to, to remember those words, and as he taught them, he's acting something out. He said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. As he taught them, he acted out his preach. So part one, essentially, part one of his sermon was cursing the tree, right? Part one of his sermon says, man's attempt to cover himself is fruitless. Part one. Then he points to the temple saying to his disciples, see what they're doing there? That's one corrupt system. Why? For they're teaching people how to cover themselves. And that is fruitless too. That's exactly what they did. They sold things in the temple um, to cover your sin. And they obviously made a lot of money um, by, by doing that. And then he says, let me show you what this looks like. So he walk up uh, into the temple courts and he starts turning over tables uh, where they were selling sacrifices so people could cover themselves. So Jesus says, in, uh, essentially, the days of corrupt systems of power trying to create systems to show people what they must do to cover themselves, those days are coming to an end. Now my question, is there any way, any way, that we have become the system that Jesus is turning over tables from? Is there any way that we have become masters of good and evil? You see, because this has got huge implications for our lives. First implication. Our lives will be an example of extravagant love to others, or it will be a feeble attempt to know good and evil. This is so interesting. Love is defined by the level to which you ascribe worth to someone who doesn't deserve it. Do you treat people as they deserve, or do you treat people as they're worth? The most loving marriages in the world are those where the, uh, people, uh, the persons treat each other as they are worth, not as they deserve. I mean, wives, you treat your husbands the way they're worth, not, the, not because they deserve it. Because if you treat them the way that they deserve, then some days they will deserve it and other days they won't. And the same, same with the wife. Um, so you respect him because he's worth it to you. You don't love your wife because she deserves it. You love your wife because she's worth it. If you ascribe worth to someone who shows you love, what good is that? Jesus says the pagans do that too. But to become a person of love is to ascribe worth to someone even if they don't deserve it. To treat someone out of the knowledge of good and evil is to treat them how they deserve. To treat someone out of the tree of life is to treat them how they're worth. 
You see, the church of Jesus Christ is not called to be masters of good and evil, and I hope that you can see it um, in Scripture. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be masters of love, to give extravagant love to others. Why, why should we give people extravagant love? Why, why, why must we do that? Unsurpassable uh, uh, worth to people. I'm going to answer that question with a question. How much worth does God ascribe to people to die for them? When I learned this, it literally changed my life. I mean, sometimes it's really hard to love someone. Like, I've got this person at work that I so wish that Jesus will take to heaven. But when I, when I started understanding that God loved her so much, and he ascribed worth to her so much, so who am I? to get offended or to be irritated by her. She, I mean, God died for her as well. So, if you're looking at someone, for example, and you don't agree with their lifestyle, but still treat them with love because God says they are worth it, it doesn't mean you condone it. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means my job is not to determine whether you are good or evil. And God says, for your own good, don't do that. Our jobs and my job is to give others unsurpassable worth because God says they are worth it. Even if you help a person to change their behavior or their lifestyle or whatever the case may be, it will never, ever, ever work when you try to help someone change their behavior unless they know that you love them right where they are in any way. God calls us to be the light of the world, and part of the light of the world is to ascribe worth to people as he did. Or our lives will be a feeble attempt to know good and know evil. Second implication, our lives will yearn for more and more needles or put our faith in one nail. Your life will be a never-ending circle of finding ways to cover yourself, or your life will be uh, putting faith in one person's work. To be kingdom people, you will have to choose to live from the right tree. Any attempt that you try to cover yourself or force others to cover themselves is fruitless. Anything you do to make God love you more is futile. And that's from the tree of good and evil. You see, the central forbidding of Jesus is judgment. His central command is to love. If we, for example, worship in an attempt to draw God to us, that's witchcraft, really. But if you worship um, as a celebration of what God is already to you, that is worship. Even the prophets of Baal, for example, I mean, they sang, they screamed, they shouted, they walked in circles to get their God to act on their behalf. Not that it worked, but anyway. In Matthew 7, Jesus says the following. He says, do not judge or you will be judged. 
For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time the plank is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of um, your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, in the kingdom, we should have the liberty to help each other with the specks in our lives. We should. As long as we see our own issues as a blank. If you really want to help someone, it takes humility to not come across as the master of good and evil. I've, there's this book called Repenting of Religion by Greg Boyd. He's a pastor. And there's so many quotes in there, and I wanted to... <laughs> to uh, write down a couple of them, but there's no time for it, so I chose two, and I want you to listen to this. I'm not saying that this is right, I'm not saying it's wrong, all I'm saying is I found it exceptionally challenging, and I wrestled with this. This is what he says. Whatever music we play, sermons we preach, churches we build, people we impress, powers we display, stances we take, doctrines we teach, things we achieve, if believers are not growing in their motivation and ability to ascribe unsurpassable worth to people who have no apparent worth, we are just wasting our time. Another quote. What we shall find is this. As has been the case with almost all religions throughout history, the Christian religion has to a significant extent become the defender and promoter of the fall rather than the proclaimer of the good news that alone can free us from the fall. As with most religions, it has set itself uh, up as the guardian of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the example of how to transcend the knowledge of good and evil by living in love. Well, are we seeing in our communities as people who, who love, or are we seeing as people of that master good and evil? Do our sermons center around, let me tell you what's right and what's wrong, or are we challenging the body to be um, the light, uh, to bring heaven to earth, to make the world a better place? Two more application points and then we're done. Um, my first um, question is, do we treat people as they deserve with judgment or with love? Start in your own family, your neighbor, the new person in church. What does it mean to treat people with love? It means to ascribe unsurpassable worth to them. If their behavior is destructive and it needs to change, our first move should still be to ascribe worth to them, to acknowledge our commitment to see them through that, not to pronounce our judgment as a master of good and evil. Second question. Are we as a church um, of Christ known for our extravagant love or for our expertise in good and evil? Excuse me. Which tree are you living from right now? 
Are you, are you living from the tree of good and evil? I think it's time that, that we quit faking it. The world has already figured it out. We don't have a clue. Our mastery of good and evil has never, ever won one person to Jesus. What wins people to Jesus is when they come to church and they know that they are loved right where they're at. You see, if the church becomes known for their love, people would run to church. They would. Broken people like us, would run to church if that is the case. But I think often they run away from church because of judgment. You see, none of us has got it all together. None of us, not even one single person. So our best bet is to treat each other with unsurpassable worth. And in the process, let's get the speck out of each other's eyes while we see ourselves as a blank. It really takes humility to do that. Church's mastery of good and evil has not won one person to, the Christ, but, uh, to Christ, but broken people receiving unsurpassable worth from the body. You see, they can't feel God. <laughs> they don't know what it is. But they know you, and they know how you feel like. And as, 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 as we ascribe worth to such, that is what leads people to, to Christ. That is what leads people to, to Jesus. I want to leave you with this um, story. Sometimes we have to relearn, like I had to relearn Jesus in my life. And I was thinking this morning about Peter. Peter was all, yes, God, I'm with you. Yes, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm going to stand by you. And yes, and amen. Because he thought this was going to be a, um, this, is, this is going to be done with weapons. But when Jesus was in front of uh, Pilate, he he denied Jesus. He was standing at coals, the Bible says, and he was denying the Savior. And when they crucified Jesus and Jesus uh, was resurrected, Jesus brought him back to those coals. (laughs) He cooked breakfast for the same guy that denied him, for his disciples, his disciples that left him. He cooked breakfast for them, saying, love wins the day. You see, Peter had to relearn Jesus, as I and my life had to. Shall we pray? Almighty God, we proclaim our love for you. We are not the master of good and evil. We repent from being masters of good and evil. And we are sorry uh, for every place in our lives that we keep on eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For all it does, it requires us to make more clothes for ourselves. And our coverings is just getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Lord, please forgive us for those places and give us the courage to see things different and the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. Spirit of God, speak 
uh, to our hearts now and show us where we have treated people with judgment instead of love. Help us to make rights. We want to be kingdom persons. We want to bring your kingdom to earth. Forgive us, Father God, for the secrets and the darkness that we cover and for living out of an image created to impress others. Today, we choose the nail and not the needle. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, my man.